Okay, here we are. We uh, are in actually Second Samuel chapter eleven. We got quite a bit to cover on that. Uh, I know that's what she said. Didn't think she was going to stick to it. Chapter twelve is what I've got outlined there. I don't know if we'll make it into that or not, but. We set the stage last week. That is really the story, and then what happens after that is uh, not so good. Um, We noticed in verse 5, because um, the woman Bathsheba had relations with David, and really I guess you could turn that around. Uh, She's not really the bad person in this particular story that's focused on David. Anyway, verse 5 is where we kind of shut off from last week. The woman conceived. She uh, told David and said, I am pregnant. And uh, I don't know what happened after that immediately. Um, We do know that David uh, starts thinking about what he should do. We know that he should be out on the uh, battlefield and instead he sleeps during the day and then carouses around at night. (laughs) That's basically what's going on there. And so the next section is David has a plan and it doesn't work so he has plan B and then that doesn't work so he uses plan C. Uh, That doesn't work and then plan D which is the one that we really are amazed and uh, disappointed uh, what David does with that. It just wasn't going the way that he thought it would go, and uh, that's where we're at. And so we'll uh, we'll cover a little bit. Hey, uh, Vel, can you read verses 6 through 9 in chapter 11? Yes, sir. It says, Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah, Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a message of a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house while all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. Alright, so here's David's plan. He says, we'll just bring Joab back from war. No. Right? And he, uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Joab is, is, he, he sent for Joab, but it's Uriah that he wants to bring back home and kind of under the guise of, uh, Tell me about what's happening, you know, during the war there. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the state situation? So uh, Uriah does come back uh, as Joab uh, gets him there, and um, David asks, "How's it going?" And we really know what David's plan is. It's not just finding out about what's going on at uh, the city that they're really trying. They're besieging, really, is what it is. So he says, go down to your house and wash your feet. It means, you know, just go on home. Uh, you know, take it easy. Uh, Uriah feels kind of bad because he should be out there with all of his buddies and being in part of the war and, you know, sleeping in the tents. 
rather than going uh, home. But that's the idea there is, get, you know, comfortable. And, and it's even getting to the point of, you know, spending time with your wife and, and such. So uh, he went out of the king's house and got a present. Now, it's interesting about what your verse says there. It's fascinating. It said uh, meat. Some kind of uh, you know meat to take. That sounds pretty good. You know, it's pretty good meat to take yeah, home. Get yeah, it from David. Take a, a guilt offering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an offering. Yeah. Uh, mine just says present, but that's not bad. That's you know who knows what that was, but uh, whatever it is, is like uh, you know David's being real casual and comfortable with him, and you know give him a. Slap on the back and say, "Hey, that's all right. Take it easy for a night. Go on home. Be with your uh, wife." Is basically what he's trying to get at. Meet your wife and have some dinner. Yeah, have have a real nice dinner. You know, with oh here by the way, here's some candle lights yeah. to go with you. But uh, anyway, it, so it seems likely that David and Uriah, and I think we mentioned this last week, really aren't real strangers. I think David knows of Uriah at least that because Uriah was considered a mighty warrior of David in 2 Samuel 23, 39. I think that's what it was. But, you know, you almost have to wonder too, and I'm not, I don't want to read into this, but I had a commentator suggest this. It seems unlikely that I, Uriah would be totally ignorant of this that's going on of what uh, has happened between his wife and David. It never says that, so I want to be really careful. But it does give a thought up there. There probably could have been rumors kind of going around. It's been a little bit of enough time for it to circulate around Jerusalem. And well, yeah, because, you know, he did his deed and the people at least in his palace knew about it. Because he sent for Yeah. And because Uriah doesn't want to go back home. If he, if he did have his thoughts of if that story that he heard was true, uh, later on it makes you almost convinced that David is trying to make me go home with my wife and cover up and that, that way, then she will become known as pregnant later on Uriah maybe doesn't necessarily know this, but it's a possibility. You know, maybe, uh, you know, it was just he didn't know for sure. What's that? That's what I was thinking, too. Were you thinking that, too? It's, you know, it's because, you know, things like that get around, especially the king, and it could have gone all the way back to the Israelite army or, you know, maybe when he got in a temple. Whatever it is, he stays around with, you know, at David's place around that area, the king's house, with all the servants of his lord. He didn't go, you know, to his house. So plan one fails. Never fear. We'll try another one. Uh, Vel, do 10 11 there. It says, And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down to his house, David said to Uriah, Comest thou not from thine journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go into mine house and eat and drink and to lay with my wife? 
as thou livest, and as thou as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. Okay, you know, it's probably it could be months or it could be at least quite a while since he's last been home, seen his wife. He refuses to go to his house. Not there's not too many men that I know that would do that. But I think he, you know, definitely he's an honorable man, isn't he? I really believe that. He speaks with boldness here because he's standing before King David. Joab, remember him? He didn't get along with David too well. Yeah. I think he caught on to that because he probably thought this was really odd for David to go get him. I think he might be the very one that says says he's up to something. Better watch out. So, just saying, because I just realized in the past they well, had together. I could definitely, because Joab follows through with the command that David gives, and you know, Joab does what he does for David, but also for the kingdom. You know, like when he but, takes out David's son. You know, David said, "Treat him, treat my son well." You know, I still love him, and Joab was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> All right, throw him in a ditch and bury him with a bunch of rocks. <laughs> but, Just don't care about it. Remember, their their relatives aren't they? Yeah. They're cousins or something. They yeah, they're and cousins. There's the three brothers, mm-hmm. and because they have, they have some, they don't have the best. Uh, yeah, there's, there's some, some air. There's some thick rivalry around there. Those two. Yeah. There's a little two. bit of rivalry, so I can yeah. see Joab not. About. But he, he definitely listens to David all the way through here. Yeah. And, you know, and he's protecting David, you know, and there's like a quite the cover up that's going on. But he might not even know what the so. cover up is. I just think he says, says, Okay, I'm just gonna tell you what David's saying. Well yeah, because it's something's even off. something's awry, something's going on here. So yeah. Maybe, yeah. He says, And my Lord Joab mm-hmm. and uh, the servants are intense, you right. know. Right. Abide in tents and my Lord Joab. So Joab is obviously at the battlefield. Right. He, he was staying back. He didn't come mm-hmm. with him. So yeah. So when he gets back, Joab's like, "What's going on?" Or just make gave a suspicion to him. I mean, I'd be fairly suspicious if I was. I mean, if I was a soldier, and I was fighting in the army, and I was called by the yeah, no, come the, back. Yeah. I would. I would be more worried. Like, what did I do? Yeah, that's it's like a second yeah. second time here yeah, now, and uh, let's see what's what's going on here. David is I've got on the outline there that I had from last week. I should have made some more there, but David was emphatic now with Uriah. I mean, he's making it very clear. You need to go home, go home to your you know your house and your wife, right? You know, and Uriah comes back and he's emphatic about it and. That hey, there's no way I, I would I would not feel right with all the men there. You know, I think he's very honorable, but I'm wondering if he's saying, you know, I, I have a suspicion to himself. What's that, Debbie? There's something funny here. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's a second time. I think he would. I would definitely. I would definitely be. You know, I wouldn't assume right away that oh, David lost his love with my wife. I wouldn't. That would, would be like the last thing. But I, I would. He, maybe he thinks it's a test on yeah. David that David's testing him or something. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh no, I'm gonna pass this test." David's gonna be so proud of me. <laughs> but when I'm done. <laughs> or he doesn't want to look bad on the other guys. However, those. Yeah. So they said it might. He might just be thinking it's some yeah. kind. Maybe of, I'm getting some kind of promotion. Right. Yeah. Just a test of something that he's doing with him. Or. Yeah, yeah I can see it like yeah. that. It, because it would definitely be suspicious. But like I was saying, I think that his response to David was very bold. And, uh, you know, because he's standing before the king. and He's saying all these things. Imagine how David 
should be feeling hearing this come out of his soldier's mouth. Oh my God, just a little thing to say uh, there. Yeah. I will not do this thing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's too bad that Bathsheba couldn't have eventually have said that too. I cannot yeah. do this thing. But, you know, the, the pressure, that's a peer pressure. This is the king, you know. Yeah. And I think that's probably why she succumbed to that. But she did. I mean, I'm not saying there everything she did was, you know, absolutely innocent here either, but... Uh, his plan C here is really interesting what David does here. This is definitely uh, another sin to add to this. Uh, go ahead and read 12 and 13 there, Vil. Right. It says, And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and made him drunk. And at eve he went out to lie on his bed with the servant of his Lord, but went not down to his house. Okay, David's now gotten to plan C, and this is get Uriah drunk. Okay, if he doesn't do it natural, okay, you're home, you go home, and then, you know, you have relations, David's off the hook, you know, now it's Uriah, you know, no, it was, it was me, you know, I was there, but no. Second time, David is emphatic, and Uriah is emphatic about it. Now, the third time is to get him drunk. And we know that in Scripture, drunkenness is a sin. And David is playing a part in making one drunk, an honorable man here. And uh, so, anyway, he called him, and he ate and drank for him, and he made him drunk. So he just kept serving it up, serving it up, and you would think, okay, you know, it's one thing about, okay, naturally driven, but when one gets a little bit uh, loose and, uh, you know, more and more like that, it's like it would be real easy now for him to go on home and, you know, have relations with his wife. And uh, again, we find out that he doesn't go to his house. Now, something's really suspicious, isn't it? No matter what, he is not going to go home. Uh, David doesn't have any other plans but to got to kill him. <laughs> He's not going to go there. He's going to find out what I did, or you know, if he, you know, whatever uh, is going on. I mean, who else would, you know, he'd come back? She'd have the baby. Baby would probably be like a year or two old or something, depending on how long the besieging took. And it probably looked like David. <laughs> you know, people like, I mean, my first suspicion is this is why David had me over here. So that I could be set up. Well, quite set up. 14 through 17. Shane, you want to take a few verses there with that pink Bible? Sure. <laughs> 14 through 17? Yeah. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. I think not only did he cause Uriah, but it says here, that's interesting, other servants, he caused others to die. And I never really thought too much about it. 
boy, that's desperate to kill one here who is a... David's a mighty man of valor. And Uriah is another man of mighty valor. They're both great warriors, men of valor. And David is actually giving his this man up. Um, David you know, is now willing to take Uriah's life and actually other men because if you send men right up to the wall and where intentionally he's put in a position where some of the great warriors are on the other side that are really good with the bows, however they uh, fight. And they, uh, they, so he's struck down, he dies with with others, and uh, that's what David resorted to. Yes, that is uh, that's a disaster. How far that he has gone. This is a mighty man of God. David, we look up to. He's a man after God's own heart. Most of the stuff that we see him do is for the Lord. It's a good thing. Uh, he's a warrior for the Lord. He writes songs for the Lord. Um, he is a king. He's a type of Christ. And yet we see him in sin after sin involved here now. That's the whole point that's getting me about David, this whole thing. Okay, what he did was wrong, really wrong. But he never once goes to the Lord and say, you know, repent, right. repent of this, what are the Lord's hands, knowing it's like, okay, if I'm going to be disgraced, then I'm, you know, own up to your sin. No, but. And then ask the Lord to, you know, do, you know whatever He needs to do. You understand the punishment because you deserve that punishment. And so he, He's known that the Lord's going to keep Him as King, though, too. And so He was disgraced. He's got to own up to His sin. He's not doing yeah. sin. He just keeps making it worse. It gets deeper and deeper, and that's the way that sin works. And, you know, then we have to lie, we cover up, and then on and on, and then there's other things that happen with it, and it's just a disaster. And so this is what happens to David uh, as he gets into this sin, and it just goes further and further. So, 18 through 25, Joab now is going to handle a PR problem. David always calls on Joab, even though he had some problems with Joab. Um, he uses Joab pretty well all the way through his kingship. Um, so in um, 18 through 25, let's see what's happening here. Uh, Shane, go ahead and get that section if we could. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, When you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up. And he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech? Abimelech, son of Jerobasheth. Jerobasheth. Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in the best? <laughs> Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Also, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance to the city gate. 
Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is, is dead. So what we have going here is, remember the city is under siege. Yeah. A siege takes a long time, and that was the plan of what they would do, starve people to death. Um where they get to the point where they surrender. Whatever it is, that this is hustling it along, and they haven't been going up to the wall and taking on battle like that because the city knows they can't take on the Israelites. But at this point, there they are, they meet them, and then, you know, as the, as the story is told, it's interesting that Joab gets the message from Uriah. Uriah has the envelope of what they are to do, and he gives it to uh, Joab, who's been the commander there. Yeah, his own death sentence. David. <laughs> okay, well, we, we see what happens there, you know, and Joab is doing what David told him to do, and uh, this gets the job done, and David doesn't literally kill him by his own hands, but he is guilty of that. And then, or, really, it's coming from. Um, the enemy who's killing him, he allows these uh, the Ammonites here to kill the great warrior that he is. Well, that time they had an upper hand on it, and what he had to do is they had to relax that upper hand to get him killed, and that also was going to make them have to last longer in the siege to get it back under control. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole lot more than just, yeah. So David's getting mad. As far as David's concerned, the problem is now taken care of. It's only the beginning now. And so, and it's going to uh, cause consequences for the rest of his life. Even though men got killed here, David doesn't. But he will suffer a lot of family problems for here on out. It's kind of sad, but I wonder. Can I kind of jump way forward? No, we talked about this. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just wondering: Is this why David had trouble keeping warm when he was at old age? He came to that point where he just couldn't keep warm, and he said that no amount of blankets or like women company can keep him. Well, <laughs> this is this is getting a little bit too close here. Hey, that's far enough in the future. I figure we forget before we get there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I get cold. I mean, you've heard of somebody getting cold feet. Well, mine gets literally cold. I have to wear boots sometimes in the summertime in before I go to bed. It's wool, with wool in there to keep my feet warm where I can go to sleep because it's too cold. <laughs> Do you ever get sleep because of old age? You don't, you, don't, you don't get cold, right? If I asked Debbie, this would be the opposite because she's always really hot and then Frida would probably say the same thing. Do you, you don't get... Cold. I okay, all right, there we are. Good, 
and it's some kind of thing that she has going on. I, she told me what it is. And it's because if she gets cold, her hands will do that too. Yeah. And yeah. John had that problem. His, if his hands got really cold, he always wore gloves. Mm -hmm. But his fingers would turn white because it was like there wasn't any blood in it. Yeah, circulation. Yeah. And as you get a, as you get older, you, your circulation so gets... Well, it does. It does. It, it and it really, you know, when it comes down to it, everything that's not good, it results to sin. Maybe not necessarily any one thing we did, but it's you know the nature of man. You know, it's part of the deal. Coming up for you. <laughs> <laughs> One of these decades. That's Ronan. That's the operation. It wasn't kind of coveting his wife there, too? I mean, oh, you mean, oh, let's look at some sin that he's dealing with. Go down the Ten Commandments. What are we supposed to do, first of all? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's also another. And you look at the first four commandments. You know, you think of the first table, and you go, all of those are really. There's an idolatry that he has here. You can go to the tenth one where it's dealing with coveting. He definitely coveted his neighbor's wife. So, and they're stealing there. Uh, you know, there are theft. Uh, you know, in that sense, look what he stole. Uh, of course, we know murder, right? Yeah. So, really, you break one commandment, though you break them all. Right. Really, is what it is. I mean, it's like a glass, and you know that glass just shatters uh, if you break it. So, yeah, he. You can see one after another going down all the way through here. Would you consider that he actually did some lying here too? Deceitfulness. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So. Um, yeah, boy. I mean, it's just breaking them all over the place. And does, did David really intentionally want to do something like that? I don't even think he was really intentionally wanting to uh, do what he first set out to do, or what he did. He just went out after you know, looking out on the deck out there, and the next thing you know, that uh, and then you know that starts things. Thinking and you know it's one thing if you see something. So what do you do? You have to shift your eyes and start you know uh, thinking about something different. That's how you negate that. But instead, he started thinking on it, continued to look, and that's where things went. And so you know it's the the James passage that we were talking about last week. Which is something we all identify with, you know. We and by the way, we really can't just get on to David on here. Uh, this is how sin works on all mankind. And if this happened to a man like David, what uh, can happen to us? But blessed, verse twelve, is a man who perseveres under trial. Once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Verse 13, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. He tests us, but He never tempts us to sin. 
But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. David had a weakness here. A real weakness. Most men do, but it seems like David has more of an opportunity than any man at that time, uh, being in the position that he was, and he had uh, you know, a harem and wives, multiples. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Boy, in this case, it brought literal death, didn't it? Brought on is like a, you know, a snowball, and it's just gathering and gathering. So, uh, twenty-five says David said to the messenger, "Thus you shall say to Joab: Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another." Make your battle against the city stronger and overthrow it. And so encourage him. So he's saying, don't get so caught up in this as you know, as he tells the messenger. And tell, tell Joab now, um, this is the way things you know, happen. It's war and, and such. And uh, don't grieve. Basically is what he's saying is, this is part of war. Um, well, can you do 26 and 27? We'll finish this chapter and we'll probably get started in chapter 12 here. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, had been dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Here we go. All along here, you're saying, well, you know, what God hasn't really... He didn't stop him from sinning. You know what you have here? It's interesting. I don't see David grieving and mourning here. Now, David grieved over Saul, who tried to kill David many times. He definitely grieved over uh, Jonathan, but he did Saul. There was another king that he grieved for. Do you remember that? We were talking about that last week. And other people that he grieved for. But here it is this great warrior, Uriah, and he doesn't grieve for him. Well, why would he? He had him to be killed. He's glad that he was killed. Problem's out. Uh, it's done. It's over with. And we can move on now. Yeah. Yeah. David's heart is uh, it's not good right now. Um, this is David. But she mourned her husband. That's telling us she loved her husband. It wasn't that she was in on this plot with David. Now we got to get rid of my husband, you know. And right. David says, "Okay, well, we'll take care of him." She is not at all. Matter of fact, this is this is a true grieving, a true mourning, and uh, so that's showing that you know her intentions from the outset really was not what turned out to be. But that's what happened. I, I really believe that you know because through David and Uriah will come the Messiah. So if you know God knew that through Uriah, you know the, the Messiah was to come, He already had a plan, or through Bathsheba, you know, 
you know, eventually Uriah was going to die in battle. You know, and you know, but we all know that that's how it happens. It's that's and this is a tough one to wrestle with because we we hear value God's sovereignty. God does not need our help and His plan, no matter what we think. But he, and he never tempts anybody to sin. Right. He's and mankind is always responsible for the sin, and never is God responsible. But yet, in God's plan, He makes everything work together for good. And you know, you take the foreknowledge and everything. You know, He knows beforehand, and you know, He's He's working all this out. But He, matter of fact, He ordains. Everything that happens. It's not that he is making sin happen. Mankind is really good at that by himself. But what happens is that he uses that even in the plan, here's what you're saying, that will lead to where the Messiah comes from. So how's God viewing this? Well, that very last verse, their last phrase says, he had, David did evil in the sight of the Lord. This was very displeasing to God. And uh, that was... Uh, that's something that I think behooves all of us whenever we know that we have a weakness and uh, we can be tempted that we need to be thinking how this is going to affect God. David later realizes against you and you only, Lord, I sinned. Even though he sinned against a lot of people, it all really starts. And is that that right there? How does he view God? Well, it took him a little bit. And that's when we'll proceed into 12 here. So here is, we see the responses after the death of Uriah. And we see that David is not sorry about it at all. We don't see about the men, his own yeah. men. His other yeah. men. Yeah, yeah. And whoever else he had to deceive to pull this all off. Yeah, what is going through his mind? What, what's happening, David? Can a Christian... Fall, yes. How far can a Christian fall? Very far. Here, adultery, murder, talked about all the other ones. Um, There's no sin of which the Christian is not capable in the flesh to do. It reminds me of uh, when it was the Apostle Paul telling the Corinthian church. He says, you know, there's a people in your church that are uh, son and his father's wife together doing things you know having relations with each other new people are promoting it he says kick them out hand them over to Satan so that their flesh may be destroyed but their spirit or their souls might be saved so it's like interesting how like because they're still believers and they're caught in this sin that is so disgusting that not even the pagans would promote such a thing he's saying that we can be handed over to Satan for the destruction of our flesh, but so that our souls might be saved. That would be drive them back to right. thinking right and Christ-like. And, he, and he doesn't, it doesn't ever say that you know that we're abandoned even in that debauchery, you know. But that you know, 
when people commit acts like that, it, it's a destruction of the flesh. And, you know, there, there's a lot of things that take place. And it just, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, I don't know. They, they said, hand them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that their souls might be saved. You know, and... To church, that, church discipline. Yeah, and to me that shows a lot of, like, still God's love, mercy, and grace. You know, well, that, but it yep. doesn't doesn't mean it's going to feel good. About even the church discipline, right? Because you want to see them restored. Right. It's like almost like they have to be shook up from the deepest of their core to realize how far out of God's movement they are. Right. But that's what everything everything we do. And so, is that why God would then use Satan even mm-hmm. to do what He does to still drive them back? To truth, that's an amazing thing. Most people, if they heard that, you know, what are you talking about? A veil, you know, that you turn them over to Satan. And we see that in other places, or where God just strikes them down. Ananias and Sapphira, lying to the Holy Spirit. You know what happens in the next coming verses between David's household? You know, because of what David did, you know, the sin was allowed to take place in his household and basically tear his. Family apart. Because David's not David's not greedy. Okay. <laughs> David's not greedy. That's what I'm saying. Look, it says that she already born him a son. That's not that's going back. You know, this is just like the guy who watches the movie and you're watching it for the first time, the guy over here is telling you exactly what's gonna happen. Put the sign up on him. Spoiler alert. I like that. Well, how fast can a Christian fall? It looked like David fell pretty fast. And I'm sure it was pretty fast, but uh, it was probably for a little while. Uh, he should have been out in the fields, out there with them. Uh, as it said, as it started off the very first part, it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle. And David was at home. So... Uh, Anyway, it can happen fast, though, but it snowballs. The course of action is this. Confess your sin and forsake them. That's how you defeat sin. Okay, let's go into chapter 12. What do you guys think about that? Okay. Now, I think that what happens here before we start reading the verses... David is prepared for repentance for like a year or so. God is preparing him. David, all that time period, is not really repented, not really confessed, and we know that because he writes in a psalm, and he tells about it in Psalm 32. Now there's another uh, chapter where we also see David in his confession Psalm 32 and verse 3 and 4 says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. That and he starts off in the very first verse, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. So it's saying whenever I confess my sins, that's whenever things finally um, 
were broken down and he was able to see things clearly. In these verses here, David makes it clear that God's at work. When he doesn't appear to be at work, what's the job of the Holy Spirit? To convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. Uh, but it, sometimes we can say, what's happening Why that person? It doesn't seem like God's even doing anything now. But David tries to cover up his sin that whole time. God is at work exposing uh, what his heart is like. And uh, boy, these are not times of joy and celebration for David. Even though he has Bathsheba as his wife during this time, um, I think Satan would like us to conclude that uh, these are days of misery and that's just the way it's always going to be now. He has a guilt. But until he confesses that sin, that guilt is going to stay with a Christian until God has dealt with it thoroughly, until we deal with it thoroughly. Uh, he can't sleep. I think we see here, uh, it seems like he can't even eat properly. He's not sleeping nights. He, he's losing weight. You know, his body is wasting away. Who knows what he what he looks like at that time period. And people that grow in this, this, but groaning all day long at night. Yeah. To confess. Yeah. Well, you're going to hear us groan when we move just because I worked hard. Does David know he is miserable? Well, I bet David doesn't even. He hasn't even really fully caught on to, like, why. It's like he seems like he's just. Until the prophet comes and speaks to him. Yeah, and then later on, he so that's what was happening to me. I was wasting away. I was I felt miserable the whole time, and whenever he is brought the word of God, then all of a sudden it's like, up. Oh, you know, you got to the point. This is why you're mad at me. This is what it is. So you know, I have to wonder if somehow things got really cloudy by having all those wives. That it's like because he's king, maybe he's thinking that you can have anybody you want. Was he thinking that? Well, at the time, uh, great justification anyway, isn't it? But uh, all this time, I really believe that God is preparing him for repentance, even though he doesn't feel it. God is using this kind of season that he's going through um, you know, David's repentance is not the result of his assessment of his situation, right. like you're talking about there. It, it's the Word of God that comes from somebody that intervenes. Mm-hmm. Really, it's God, but somebody He uses a man to do it. Who confronts him and tells him exactly what he did. Uh, somebody who doesn't know which or is how you're born again. Yeah. Grace. Exactly. God will bring somebody along to bring that forth, but He uses the power to convert you. They can say all they want to you, but until He is working in you, you know. And then whenever He, like like you say, whenever He works in you, that there's now a sense of, uh, my, I, I need to repent. Because he was kind of still kind of hiding out with his guys back all that's going on. He thought he dodged a bullet. Yeah. You know, I really think that that's what he thought. Stuff like this, like something said. Now it's like, okay, everything's going to work out. 
and everybody else doesn't think, ah, oh, David went and took care of her. Boy, that's really, you know, David's really something. So it's all being built upon false pretenses. Oh, that's yeah. where a lot, yeah. almost everything comes from that. that yeah, uh, do you remember uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10? Um, and, it, and it's really dealing with you know, what you're saying there, Frida, is, is this. 1 Corinthians 11, no, 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 I think it's 10, chapter 10. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, I've got it written down here somewhere. I thought I'd go right to it, and all of a sudden I went blank. Maybe it's uh, 10, 12? It's 10, uh, verses 11 through 13 is what it is. It it is chapter 10, yeah. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. Talking about the Old Testament. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. David thought he was standing. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you will be able to endure it. He provides a way to escape from that. He gives us a strength to beat sin. Um, but I, we see here, there it was, take heed lest you too fall. What is it? Pride comes, and that's what happens. I know in Romans it speaks of that kind of thing also. So what what it is, is that's where pride is like the, the king of all sin, isn't it? It's about self. And what happens... Have you guys ever seen this or even happened to you? Sometimes we get into sin and we can't even think straight. Have you ever seen that happen? God is at work in David's life when he's not even thinking straight for this time. And he's, but he's breaking him, getting ready to break him so that one day he will cast himself upon the Lord's grace. And it's always the grace that does that. So he could just be done with us. Okay, that's enough. I can't believe you did what you did. I can't have you anymore. But it's always grace. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. So that's uh, I think that's why this is this story is put here. God puts it here for all to see. And this is a man after God's own heart. God really loves him. Of course, he doesn't love him any more than he loves us. But. Um, quite the ordeal and uh, that Corinthians passage was saying these things are written for these things for us that we would not have to fall like David would fall so here is the story that is now related as Nathan comes there the Lord sent Nathan to David he came to him and said there were two men in the one city the one rich the other poor rich man had a great many flocks and herds The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It could eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. 
and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd, this rich man, to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe, lamb, and prepared it for the man who had come to him. David uh, is sent a man by the name of Nathan. David knows him well. Nathan's a prophet. He's a man who seems to be a friend to David. One of David's sons is going to be named Nathan. 2 Samuel chapter 5, we saw that. David informs Nathan of his desire to build a temple. Remember that? That was earlier in chapter 7. Uh, Nathan will name Bathsheba and David's second son. That's in 1225. And he... Nathan will remain loyal to the king and to Solomon when Adonijah seeks to take the throne. Nathan doesn't come to David only as God's prophet and his spokesman, but I believe he's coming as his friend. Can you think of a proverb? You were all, somebody was almost touching right on it. What is it? The kisses of an enemy... The rebuke of a friend is better than the kisses of an enemy, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. What he's yeah, and because he's saying a friend is one who will come and tell his friend the truth. And sometimes we don't like to do that because it's really uncomfortable. But in this case, uh, it is definitely the idea for Nathan to go there because God puts it on him. Nathan is sent to David, so it's Nathan that God sends. And then Nathan is sent to David. Um, That's another word that we key on there. Uh, Sending someone, sending forth someone, David, we see that in the previous chapter. David would send for people. You know, he's with the king. Now he was having people go, you know, here and there. He sent Joab, you know, to the messenger, send the messenger back to Joab, and on and on. Now you have God sending the prophet to David. David's a man of power. And he was getting pretty well whatever he wanted, wasn't he? But now it's God who does the sending. Nathan has a story. And granted, he's saying the word of God. But this is written like poetry here. If you'll notice, even the way that it's formed, even in your scriptures that you have even today, it looks like it's kind of set apart, like a a poem would be, poetry. And I think David, uh, my copy of the New American Standard, it's formatted that way, like you'll often see, like even in Psalms and such. Um, You have... Nathan, who is inspired by God to say this, is he saying it right off the bat as he comes to him, not knowing what he's going to say? He could very well be, because God can put words in people's mouths and do it. I think Nathan, by the time that he got the word from God, probably took some time on how he was going to do this. And he does it with this story, like poetry. Very possible that's the way it's going. And Nathan's story is a story for a shepherd who can understand this. David was grew up to be, first of all, what? A shepherd. And the story hits right at home. He would really understand this. 
so I think that's interesting that Nathan would come up with this, but he's inspired by God. So uh, you know, like I say, sometimes I don't want to use a lot of extra freedom here, but uh, definitely I think the the shepherd and the sheep and that going along here. Why, why a story? Why not just let David have it with both barrels, man? Come ramming into him like that, right? <laughs> really, Duke Diva, <laughs> do a little judo on him. You know? Do you think? I think it might have took a while before everybody kind of realized what had kind of really went on there. Yeah, because he's somebody did the math. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like you said, there's set, and they might that it's that it was the Hittite's child that David took on and stuff like that, though. But it was kind of like as all this story got all around about he went there to see David, blah blah blah, and then he gets killed out there, and now it takes him the child and all this. But David didn't look like he was more. It's kind of unusual that David came in and rescued her out of the situation. Oh, she'd been to the palace a couple of times. Didn't you remember that? Mm-hmm. They were really good friends, and everybody's all of a sudden like. Would you say that this was a skillfully employed kind of tactic to get David to pronounce a judgment on this man in the story? And so, really, what that's really what I think it's designed for to realize that this man's a criminal, and really, it's to come to the point of you are the criminal, right? I think this is, first of all, I think it's true, David's angry at the rich man's lack of compassion. And Jesus, how often did he speak stories to people to get them to the, to the point I can think of? Especially about the one with the, this one with the servant who leaves his vineyards to his slaves, his servants leaves, and then it's time for harvest. He sends his servants to go collect and they beat up the, beat him up and murder him, and then he sends his own son, and they kill his son, and then he comes back and wipes him out. It's like you guys were that worth. Boy, it. just gave him the whole history there, yeah. just through a, just another story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's how about the yeah. law, lawyer? What you know? What's the greatest commandment and everything? You know, of course, you oh, know, yeah. Jesus says, "Oh, you know, don't don't murder, adultery." You know, just gives you know. Whatever it is, the the answer. Of course, this man is saying, you know, I didn't, I, you know, I, I keep all of that, right? And uh, of course, the the rich young ruler is the same way. Well, really, what he did, it was designed to show that they are to recognize that they are the sinner. Here's what, because nobody can keep that law. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Nobody can do it. There again, it's it, there's no works that can do that, right? So it was meant to expose David's sin in in principle, and there's no way that it can be denied here. David is just agreeing. Well, you have a man who you know he's a criminal and doing something like that. I mean, he's mad. He's angry about it. David passes judgment on himself, and it's really him, isn't it? So Nathan did this very well, and he presses on to deal with David's David's sin there. Um, and we see David's anger in five. David's anger burned greatly. 
against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives. And now he's putting the Lord in this here. As the Lord lives. Surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold. And that's according to the law. Because he did this thing and had no compassion. David is concerned about his compassion. And think about his compassion that he had on who? Uriah the Hittite. David identifies two evils here that have been committed by this fictional rich man. Uh, The man has stolen a lamb for which the law said there was to be a fourfold restitution. Exodus 22.1 Secondly, David recognizes and he views as the greater sin that this rich man is lacking compassion totally. He has no compassion. David, who is a man mostly of compassion, had lost his compassion, hadn't he? Okay. Hmm. Can we take another minute or two? Because I don't. We're not going to finish the passage, but uh, well, take us seven through twelve. Let's read this. At least we'll get a narrative out of it. And Nathan said, "Thou art the man." Thus says the Lord God of Israel: I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hands of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wife into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover give it unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy own, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thy house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thy own house, and I will take thy wives before thy eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wife in the sight of this son. For thus did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. Here we go. Um, and and like I say, I'm not going to take a lot of time because we're at the end of a session really, but I can't leave it hanging too much. Nathan said to David, you are the man. David just sprung the trap himself. And Nathan is about to let him know about it and that's exactly what happens. And of course, he's the one that sinned against God. Um, you are the man, right? And then here's the Word of God right to him. And here is what is really interesting. Here's a friend that comes to him and tells him exactly what he needs. Nothing different. And God is like saying, it is I who anointed you king over Israel. What, what has David been thinking? I've done this. I've done this. There's the pride that comes in. And this this is where uh, what happens is we have pride in our self. And that's where we fall. And so the attention now is been brought forth to him. 
He's forgotten the things that God has done. God has done everything for him because he says here, uh, it is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. If you look at your outlines, it's just one after another. I, this is God saying, I also gave you your master's house. David has probably been thinking, I, I, and here it is, God saying, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like this. I would have given even more to you. And then he says, why have you despised the word of the Lord? Now we get into the part here, you know, uh, David has, has rebuked him. Here's what, you know, I mean, Nathan has rebuked David. And here are the things that are evil that David committed against God. He, he says in 9, why have you dis-? he despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight. He despised the very word of God, the revealed word of God. David is a man after God's own heart, and yet in this instance, David despised the word of the Lord because he knew he knew better. Uh, then it says, um, he struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. He took his wife to be, you know, his wife. He killed him with the swords of the sons of Ammon. The Ammonites killed him. Now therefore, the, sword, the very enemies, right? And that's what you did. You, you wanted the enemies to kill him. Therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. And now he gets into what, what you speak about a lot. Here's where we're going into the future, which is a lot of things to come. And he's saying, there's going to be the sword. There's going to be a lot of things happening in your own family now. God just roots it in there to David to make it very well aware that uh, here's the consequences. Um, and so uh, what do we have... Um, because you have despised me, have taken the wife of Uriah Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. When you hear that, thus saith the Lord. Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. That's a tough statement. I will raise up evil. Yeah. He does not make any sinful tones, but what he does do is he now lets other people be involved, Satan is involved, you know, I mean, evil is just showing how that corruption is now going to go all around David and uh, his whole household. But uh, he will, this is what we could say as far as the reformers say, this is, uh, it's part of God's plan. He just lets man do what and, and sin takes its course. Yeah. And he doesn't Exactly. Exactly. And that's where it's really dangerous when God says, "Okay," and there it goes. Right. He, and he does that with Bingo. all of us, but he can just let his hand relax and let the Now, folks, yeah, and that theology right there is really lacking in the body of Christ today because they'll say, "Well, God, you know, He didn't have anything to do." Well, yeah, He doesn't make people sin, but what they do like to say is. He just, he, well, he can't help it. He just, you know, his hands are tied. Oh, my. You know, his hands are tied. Um, he is, uh, yeah, he's, he's part of all of this in the sense this is what he's going to do. Um, but the consequences, evil on David's household, David's wives are going to be given 
to my curiosity on that one is are all of his wives going to be well because uh, I mean because Abigail was like yeah. a wise wife you know she yeah. was like at least modest so I, would, she wouldn't also be turned over like to the son or because when he says like all does that mean there's, they lost the protection of the Lord over the house. And so whatever, I mean, he's a king, so what's always going on with the king? There's always people coming in. Right. Yeah, he doesn't really give us a whole yeah. right. well, The part that always got me in that section was he was given Saul's wives. Yeah, Saul was dead at that time. Well, yeah, so typically the wife is taken care of by the children. There was only one son left. Of Saul, right? But, and he was a. But anyway, I was looking up on the wives of Saul. In does it just uh, take care? It's just uh, it's like they're they just get taken care of. It's part of his household. Yeah, I, I I was looking that up, and it's usually they get killed. I know that here it's specifically referring to you know. The sexual act, because this is what you did in secret. This would be done openly, and all the people know about. And, and when you take somebody else's wives, or from a, from a king, mm-hmm. you are claiming to be the king when right. you do that. Sets up the tent for all to see up there on the rooftop and everything, and broad daylight, everybody knows about it and what that's saying. And of course, he takes over, you know, as king. I mean, that's uh, just devastating. And God tells it beforehand of what's going to happen here to to uh, David and, and his family. Ah, you guilty. <laughs> <laughs> it says concubines. Now, whether that is the same as his wives, I don't know. Yeah, we got to remember he has a lot of concubines, and and sometimes that word will be used. I don't know if anybody else's version says the concubines there. Very well, as we get into that act, I think really it's correlating to concubines, but they're just as well be the wives. But I think that's what we've we've got there. Well, when you think about what he was saying, Abigail and even Bathsheba, right? I I don't know that they would be counted among. No, I I don't see that at all. I don't think you guys do. Concubines are um, to feather the kingdom. I think your wives are feather the kingdom. Yeah, I'm saying I think some version here and some people. Yeah, it's a weird concubine versus the wife. Google that. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel it's, like Google's going to start giving false answers. And then, of course, a lot of it's dealing with, you know, you're, you take another wife from foreigners where you can have good uh, relations as far as with those nations, and they all did that. Uh, what David's doing there, we do not give justice to that at all. Uh, we are right. to have, regardless of whatever is going on, that, that was wrong, that was sinful. Um, Dave, God does have plenty to say about that, but usually in those texts, He never says it's wrong, it's evil. You almost take it that it's a good thing. Well, I never see a good thing whenever men have multiple wives. Finishing it off with this, here's the lessons what we got to stop. Number one, Nathan is a prophet, but he's also a friend. And in twenty-seven six, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Very close here but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So that's what you had.
Yeah. And that, I think he is a very good friend, but he was a friend who gave truth. And, yeah, and that's even better. That's even better. Be a friend to God. And then at the same time, he cared for who the king was here, gave him truth. Well, if you love God, you're going to tell the truth. Right? God sees our sin when man doesn't. And number three, God does not always stop us from sinning. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. And in this case, it's too bad for David that God somehow didn't miraculously stop that. He usually doesn't. But He can. And throughout our lives, I think we can see times whenever He kept us from being in situations where we could have been very weak and fallen into that. So God is really good. He's merciful. He's gracious. But He does judge sin. It'll either be now or later. As the uh, oil... uh, commercial used to be. Pay me now or pay me later. (laughs) But anyway, um, quite a story. Quite the story. It's it's a narrative we're all familiar with, but it uh, I think it it helps us learn how to defeat sin. John Owen wrote a book, Sin and Temptation. And whenever we know it's sin, it's pointed out to us, it's run from it. Stomp it. Kill it. Choke it, starve it, whatever it is, just get away from it. Don't let it conquer us, right? And so it it is a war, and it's an all-out war that we make with ourselves that we're going to defeat this with the power of Christ, never our own. Let's pray. Father, great God, You are holy. Thank You for this story. And these things were meant for us to take heed that we would not fall. And yet at the same time, God, You are so gracious. You've been gracious throughout all our lives with all the things that we've done. And yet, here we are. We are desiring You. We know You. We are committed to You. Help us know You better and to help us to know ourselves and our weaknesses and to let Your Holy Spirit come in and convict us to where we would not want to dishonor You and do disfavor in Your sight. Thank You, Lord, for the ones who are here tonight. And uh, we uh, give You all thanks and glory. Amen. Amen.